morning. Welcome to all of you. For those of you here in the building, I just need to remind you at the start that at the end of our service, just stand up when you're ready to leave and then move directly to the exit the same way you came in, keeping a two-meter distance from others. Thanks for uh, adhering to that. And then just to let you know that at 6 p.m. we have another opportunity to meet together, this time uh, just online. We'll be continuing in Matthew's Gospel, and that will be followed by an online coffee time. And as was the case last week, there has been an email sent out. But if you didn't get that, you could just contact Steve and he'll uh, forward that to you. And then on Thursday... Uh, we have another opportunity to meet this time for a prayer meeting. That will be 7.45 on Thursday. And again, there's an email will be uh, arriving, hopefully, with you uh, to show you how you can join in with that. I think that's all I need to mention by way of introduction. In his letter to the Philippians, the Apostle Paul says this, For to me... To live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul knows that as a Christian, whether he lives on for a few more years or whether he dies soon, he cannot lose. Life now means serving God in the power of His Holy Spirit with our hope set on our future with Christ. That's what life means for a Christian. And death for a Christian means hope becomes reality. We transition into the presence of our Savior. And as Christians, we can say with Paul, whether I live or whether I die, Christ is mine forevermore. And that's the first song our musicians are going to lead us in.
If you have a Bible, we're going to read together or have read for us as we follow along. A reading where some of the disciples are given a sight of Jesus in his full majestic glory. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 17, beginning at verse 1. Matthew 17. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. This is God's word. 
Jesus took Peter, James, and John out of their normal situation, and he gave them new insight into who he was. And in a few moments, we're going to be thinking about that insight they were given. But before that, we are not going to climb a mountain, but we are going to widen our focus a little bit. In the current situation, it's easy to get overly focused on our current situation. So we have an opportunity now to turn our attention to another part of the world and the situation there. For quite a few years, we as a church have supported the work of TASTE, providing clean water in Nigeria. And during this past week, Steve spoke to Ben from TASTE to get an update on their work, and we're going to watch that video together now. Hi, Steve. Sorry, there's a bit of... Yes, uh, it's good to see you, and uh, nice to be able to talk to you about what's going on with uh, Taste at the moment. So just to uh, remind us, because not everyone uh, might may be familiar with uh, what who you are and what uh, Taste is, uh, just explain to us uh, a little bit about it. Okay, yeah, well, briefly, my name is Ben, Ben Udijirifu. Um, um, actually, the connection I've got with the church is that uh, Jan Lawrence, is my sister-in-law and married to her sister Sue. We both live in Sheffield. Um, we have three children. I came to Sheffield in 1985 to study uh, civil engineering and uh, have not left since then. So uh, we're based now in Sheffield. Uh, in terms of um, TASTE, TASTE is uh, a Christian organization. It was set up uh, by myself and some friends uh, to try and uh, support uh, communities, vulnerable communities in Nigeria with clean drinking water. Uh, in many areas, the water, the burden for fetching water is um, left to the women and the children, particularly the girls. So we go into communities and uh, we try and uh, drill boreholes for them and uh, set up uh, water points for them to give them clean drinking water. But we also try and use the opportunity to share the gospel. So um, as well as seeking to give them uh, life-changing water, as we call it, we also want to introduce them to the source of the true living water, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's great. And we're so happy as a church to be able to support uh, the work that you do there with taste um, all of us are impacted at the moment by uh, this uh, covid situation uh, so how has it affected the work of taste at the moment well it's a, a very good question and uh, if you were to ask me the question um, in march when it all kicked off as it were uh, i would have uh, been talking to you with some foreboding because you know, it, it seemed as though everything was going to shut down, both here, where main, the main source of funding for the work in Nigeria comes from, and also over there with the uh, fear of how vulnerable people are over there. But uh, praise the Lord, I'm just amazed that um, even though we haven't had the face-to-face uh, -face personal contact fundraising events that we would usually have like tasty dessert the, the very popular uh, event uh, that we have every summer 
in uh, Warsaw, uh, run by uh, Connie and Jan and others from your church. Um, the, the Lord has blessed us and the uh, funds have kept in, uh, on coming in. So we've not really suffered uh, financially as much as I thought we would uh, and as much as it appeared that we might at the start of the pandemic. Uh, in terms of uh, in Nigeria, because of the work that they were doing, uh, providing clean water to communities, teaching them hygiene and sanitation, uh, they were actually given um, a license to operate during the lockdown. They had a, lock, uh, a lockdown uh, back in um, March, April time, and uh, so they were able to travel between uh, areas to, to carry out the project. So in there, as far as they were concerned, they weren't affected in carrying out the project, although when they weren't doing any projects, they had to uh, stay at home. So there was some impact, but it wasn't as bad as um, we'd uh, uh, feared. That's great. And it's good to hear how the Lord, uh, he's not stopped, is he, by anything? Absolutely not, no. That's, that's no. wonderful, yeah. So uh, you have a new uh, project that you're uh, raising funds for at the moment. And uh, as a church, we wanna be able to help and contrib contribute towards that. So can you explain a little bit about this project? Yes, um, our biggest, uh, well, the most critical equipment that we have in doing our work is a drilling rig. Uh, we've had two already. The one we've got now is um, the size of a, um, if you've ever gone camping, it's the size of uh, a trailer tent. And um, so it has to be towed everywhere because it's not... Uh, self-propelling so we need vehicles to tow it over wherever we need it uh, we need um, compressor to drive it it's like, like when you use um, um, a drill and you put it uh, into um, hammer uh, action mode the um, compressor gives the drilling uh, rig the power it needs to drive through rocks so but there are some rocks it just won't touch it just bounces off the rocks because it's not powerful enough even with the um with the drilling with the uh, compressor but also uh, when we have projects wherever it is very often we're making several trips to take the drilling rig out to take the compressor out to take the um, materials out to, for the work so that it could take a couple of days to actually mobilize to site and over the years, we've been thinking about getting uh, a new rig. Now, we are a small organization, so when we need to buy something like that, we need to think very carefully, pray very hard, and um, wait for the right time. And uh, for, you know, sometimes you don't get the right rig coming out, one that you can afford, but also one that meets our spec. But what? about two years ago one came at, um, came to our notice it's in Ireland Southern Ireland and um, over the last couple of years I've been negotiating with the owners to see whether we could uh, buy it on higher purchase from them now it's uh, recently we were approved as uh, tier fund Nigeria partners so that's really going to increase our um, our work and um, the areas that we're going to be 
working in. So we do need a, a drilling rig now. So so we're trying now. We've uh, sent out an appeal letter, which um, your church is, uh, has uh, uh, a church that's been very supportive of us. We've sent you a letter asking members whether they would be prepared to support us in this. Now with this, we've got um, the uh, sellers want us to have uh, uh, put down 60,000. It's a 90,000 uh, pound rig. They want 60,000 up front before we can ship it. And we want to ship it uh, by the end of uh, March so it will be ready for the uh, partnership with uh, Tier Fund, which starts in April. So everything is all of a sudden come together and uh, we're, we're now um, going round to friends and inviting them to uh, support us by this new new rig. Yeah, so as well as uh, supporting financially, we also can be praying that you get the funds as a church yeah. for, for sure yeah. so in, ad in addition to, to praying obviously that you get the money to, for the rig is there other things that we can be praying for taste at the moment yes I think uh, the fact that our uh, um, our um, staff go into remote areas there's always a security issues because uh, they're the areas where um, communities uh, are attacked by the Islamist uh, militants so if we can uh, pray for their safety but also we we know that uh, providing water is only part of um, our work although we're not uh, a, uh, a gospel uh, agency we do uh, share the gospel with the communities particularly when we hand over the, the uh, project when it's finished and we hand it over to the community we always get our um, our uh, one of our trustees uh, who is a minister to actually preach the community so you know that we will continue to get that opportunity and that uh, that the uh, ministry will be accepted and uh, would uh, touch hearts and change hearts uh, you've all also talked about you know if we could really pray that the Lord would um, provide uh, the rest of the funds that we need to be able to to uh, get this rig I mean the added complication is there's another uh, organization interested in it and I think it's the first person to uh, get the the, the um, the deposit to the, the sellers that it looks as though it's going to, uh, to, to to get it but we're fairly confident that we've got good enough relationship that they will come back to us before they make any decisions but that's all you know just uh, safety pray for um, for our witnessing you know in the way that we we, we help communities and then finally um, many of you will know that we are embroiled in an uh, a court case with the Japanese embassy. The next hearing is on uh, in uh, next month in February. So we would value your prayers. It's coming to uh, a conclusion, and uh, from what our lawyers are saying, it's looking like being a good uh, outcome for us. But let's just pray that that's the case, uh, that the Lord will be honoured uh, in the outcome.
Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, we're still going. Yeah, yeah. It's right, okay. Sorry. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, thank you for sharing uh, with us, Ben. And we obviously will uh, be praying for you. And as a church, we'll be uh, trying to raise funds to help you uh, with getting the rig, which we really hope you can get. So thank you so much uh, for your time today. Thank you very much, Steve. And uh, can I just uh, take this opportunity to thank the, all our friends at the church. You've been very supportive over the years and particularly with the way you've prayed for us and uh, given to us regularly. We're very, very thankful to the Lord for all your support. Thank you very much. No problem. Well, hopefully you were able to uh, hear that well enough. And as Ben has explained, they have this current uh, situation where they're trying to raise funds. That's why we've spoken to Ben and showed the video. And so if you would like to contribute to that, the best way to do it would be, uh, most of you I think already give online. You could just uh, direct that to Dave as normal and market as being for taste. Or if you work with checks, again, if you send that to Dave and indicate that it's for taste, then he'll pass all that on to Ben and um, we can uh, play a part in moving that work forward in a completely different part of the world. But in the meantime, uh, let's pray about the things that Ben has mentioned and then about our own situation too. Let's pray. Lord God, we're glad for an opportunity to look a little further afield beyond our own immediate concerns and to learn about needs in another part of the world. And we ask you to bless the work of taste. We thank you for the way uh, this work has uh, grown over the years, but also the way it's been uh, done uh, carefully and with uh, care for not only the way the work is done, but the way the workers um, act with integrity in a, in a country that's very corrupt. We thank you for the way it's set up and for the witness it's been over the years. And we do thank you for new opportunities with this uh, partnership with Tear Fund and the way that the uh, work will increase through that. And we do pray that you will provide the funds. We know that it's not just us who will be contributing to this, but we thank you that we can play a part in it. And we pray that the funds will be available and that this better uh, more powerful and more mobile rig can be uh, in the hands of uh, taste and put to work in Nigeria. We also pray for the uh, different communities that are reached by this. We pray for safety for the staff as they go often into quite uh, dangerous areas. We pray that you will uh, keep them safe. And we also pray not only for the, the work that goes on with the rig, but we thank you also that taste is concerned not just with uh, this present life for men and women and children, but eternal life as well. And as Ben mentioned, whenever the new uh, water stations are opened and the gospel is preached, we pray that you will um, bring eternal fruit from that as well. And we think of this court case that's going on. Uh, we pray that taste will be uh, exonerated in that with the um, Japanese embassy, and we pray that their work will be able to continue and that their reputation will be even enhanced 
through the outcome of this case. We pray that you will provide for these needs. We also ask for ourselves in all of our own varied circumstances, will you help us look up to you? In these moments together, as we turn our attention to you, will you speak to us through the songs the musicians bring to us? And as we turn to the Bible in a few moments, will you teach us, encourage us, and guide us? pray that you will do that through your written word, which is living and active. Your word, which is able to bring light in our darkness and life in our deadness. Will you speak to us and help us to hear you? Amen.
Last week we started looking at 2 Peter, and we noticed one way this letter is particularly relevant for us at this point in time. We thought about the temptation for us to think of our normal Christian lives as being on hold until things return to normal. But we saw how 2 Peter helps us by telling us we have the power to live for God in all circumstances. That power is God's gift to us. And we are to make use of it. We are to make every effort to grow in godliness, to display more of God's character in our lives, even in lockdown, even when normal life is largely on hold for us. But this morning, we need to acknowledge another aspect of the times we're living in. Many of us, I think, would admit The current situation has sapped our confidence. To one degree or another, it has knocked the stuffing out of us. Many of us would say we live our lives at the moment not with a sense of assurance and peace, but with a sense of apprehension, maybe even alarm, maybe even dread. Our daily intake of news leaves us feeling not uplifted, but fearful, lacking in confidence. And I mention that because this is another area where Peter's second letter is helpful to us. The passage we're going to look at this morning invites us to renew our confidence. Not only invites us to do that, it shows us the way to do it. So turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1, and just in a moment we're going to read from verse 12 of chapter 1 through to the end of the chapter, verse 21. But before we read, you'll notice this passage begins with the word, so. That tells us Peter is continuing on from what he has said previously. Back in verse 10, he called us 
to build on the faith and power God has given us. What God has done means we now have a responsibility to live for Him, pursuing goodness, self-control, love, and the other things that make up a godly life. Peter says we are to make every effort in pursuing these things because, verse 11 reminded us, Jesus is coming back. So we want to become more like Him now because we're looking forward to a rich welcome into His eternal kingdom. That's where we left off last time. And now in our passage this morning, Peter wants to help us renew our confidence. And he knows that will happen as we focus on the future we have in Christ. That's the context for what we read now in verse 12. So, in other words, because your confidence now comes from the truth of Christ's eternal kingdom, Peter says, I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to Him from the majestic glory saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with Him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is God's Word, and it calls us to do two very simple things. Remember what you know about the future, and trust what you know about the future. First, in verses 12 to 15, remember what you know about the future. What's significant here is that Peter is not aiming to teach these Christians or to teach us anything new. He has just mentioned the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He has said that expectation of that kingdom will affect our lives today. And Peter knows we already know that. It is not news to us if we're Christians. It is not news that Jesus is coming back. He's coming to put all wrongs right to make all things new. 
That is our basic Christian hope, our wonderful, uplifting Christian hope. This is not new information, but Peter knows it is information that so easily gets forgotten. In the case of the first readers of this letter, the truth about Christ's return could easily be forgotten because false teachers were giving misleading messages to these people. Peter will talk about that in chapter 2. But then in our own situation, the truth about Christ's return can easily be forgotten because you and I are immersed in daily news reports that are all about now, now, now. The R rate today, the vaccination rate today, the need to avoid normal life today. So the reason you and I might forget Christ's return might be different from Peter's first readers, but the result of forgetting is the same. We lose our confidence. Our hope gets squashed by dread. And so Peter says to us, remember what you know about the future. You don't need new information. You need to refocus on the truth you already know. And look how he emphasizes that in verse 12. I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. Then in verse 13 he says, I think it is right to refresh your memory. And verse 15, I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. That's a reference to this letter. Even when Peter is gone, this letter will help Christians to remember. And we're not talking here about having a detailed timetable of the end times, as it sometimes gets called. Some Christians want certainty about every little detail surrounding Christ's return. But God hasn't given us a detailed map or timetable like that. What we know with certainty is that Jesus is coming back. Not as a little baby, but as the all-conquering king. He will bring final defeat to his enemies, every last one of them including sin and death. And he will raise his people to eternal and full life in his presence, where every tear is wiped away and every blessing is enjoyed. That is what we know. And that's what we need to soak our minds and hearts in. Jesus said, if we're not careful, the worries of this life will choke this truth making it unfruitful in our lives. The antidote to that choking is not to look for some new teaching. It's certainly not to watch even more news. The antidote to our loss of confidence is to refocus on the truth we have, to refresh our memory. And that takes intentional effort from us. It requires a commitment from each of us that the statistics we hear in the news are no longer going to be the key factor in our daily lives. 
It requires a decision that our outlook on life is not going to be determined by the pronouncements of Matt Hancock and Chris Whitty. I'm sure they're nice men who have important things to tell us. But if you and I are going to renew our confidence, it will not be through listening to Matt and Chris. Hanging on their words, longing for the day when they tell us it's all going to be okay. The only certain way to renew our confidence is by remembering Christ's words about the future He has for us. And for most of us, that will mean watching less news and reading more Bible. Look how this is playing out in Peter's own life. Look how he speaks about his own future in these verses. Look at verse 13. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Peter refers to his body as a tent that he will soon put aside. A tent is a temporary dwelling. For you and me, we tend to associate tents probably with holidays, a week or two at a campsite by the sea. But that is not how Peter's first readers thought of tents. Tents in those days were not for holidays. They were for nomads, for desert dwellers, people who had no permanent home on this earth. And Peter thinks of his body like that. It's not what he's going to live in forever. It's temporary. And like all tents his body is going to wear out. But Peter shows no dread or anxiety about that. Why? How can Peter think of his own death without terror? How can he spend his last days not fixating on death, but serving God, writing this letter so these Christians can face the future with hope? How can Peter be like that? Peter can live with confidence. He can serve others even in the face of his own death because he knows what the future holds for him. Peter is soaked in the truth about the future. And he wants us to be soaked in that same truth. Listen to John Calvin's comment on these verses. He says, the fear of death disturbs us unduly because we do not give enough enough thought to the transience and the impermanence of this life, nor do we set before ourselves the steadfast eternity of the life to come. What does Peter say? He declares that death is the exit from the world by which we move on elsewhere. In fact, to the Lord. It ought not to be a terrifying event for us, as if when we die, we perished. He says that it is the laying down of a covering in which we have been clothed for a short time. 
Do you see how that truth enables Peter not only to face death without overwhelming fear, it also enables him to spend the days he has here productively and effectively. Not shriveling up in a corner while he obsesses about his own safety, but instead serving God with the time and the opportunity that he has. Now, please don't misinterpret what I'm saying. I am not suggesting you should flout the regulations at the moment. And this is not a campaign to convince you to come to church. I hope that as elders we've made our position clear on both those questions. We take the regulations seriously, and we leave it up to each of you whether you join in worship here or at home. Those are not the issues we're talking about. The issue is how you and I face each day. It's about the state of your heart and my heart each day. Peter, as he faces his own imminent death, shows us the path to facing each day with confidence in our heart rather than anxiety. That transition from anxiety to confidence will not happen in the blink of an eye for us, but it will begin to happen for us as we take steps to remember what we know about the future. And as I said, for most of us, the first step to that will be more Bible and less news. Let's refresh our memory with the truth that Jesus is coming back. And in the meantime, if this tent we live in wears out, if we die in the meantime, the Bible tells us we move straight into the presence of Jesus, where we will wait with Jesus until the time of his return. And then we will receive our permanent bodies fit for life in God's new heaven and earth. Remember what you know about the future. But Peter knows you and I need more than just a call to remember. And the rest of this passage, he calls us to trust what you know about the future. Because for some of us, what we find at the moment is the things which fuel our fear in these days seem to be so real and concrete. And the truths we look to for confidence seem unreal, ephemeral things. The statistics and the pictures on TV feel like reality, and the promises of God seem like fantasy. Like they don't fit with the reality we're living in. Peter wants to help us with that problem. He didn't know about coronavirus, of course, but Peter knew very, very well how the circumstances of life can make the promises of God seem unreal. And so now Peter gives us reason to trust the promises of God. He points us to two truthful witnesses, the New Testament and the Old Testament. First, 
the New Testament in verses 16 to 18. Have a look at those verses. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to Him from the majestic glory saying, this is my Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with Him on the sacred mountain. When Peter talks about the voice from heaven and being eyewitnesses of Jesus' majesty, he's referring to an event called the transfiguration. It happened during Jesus' time on earth, and earlier we read Matthew's account of it in Matthew 17. But notice why Peter mentions the transfiguration. He mentions it as a reason to trust the New Testament's promises about the future. In verse 16, he reminds these Christians, he and the other apostles told them about the coming of our Lord Jesus in power. That's a reference to Jesus' second coming, his return to this earth. How do we know that's what Peter is referring to? Well, over in chapter 3, verse 4, the same wording is used to report what scoffers are saying about Jesus. They're saying, where is this coming he promised? And the rest of chapter 3 makes clear, those scoffers are doubting that Jesus ever will come back. So here in chapter 1, verse 16, Peter writes to assure us, Jesus will come in majestic power. And why should we trust what Peter says about that? We should trust him because he has already seen Jesus' majesty. Along with James and John, Peter was there on the mountain when the veil was removed from Jesus' glory. For a short time, Jesus was seen in his true colors as the all-powerful king of the universe. For most of Jesus' time on earth, that glory was under wraps. But here, Peter answers the question as to why Jesus took him and James and John up the mountain and let them see his full glory. It was not a party trick. It wasn't because Jesus couldn't think of anything else to do that particular day. It wasn't even because Jesus had urgent stuff to talk about with Moses and Elijah. They appeared with him at the transfiguration. No, Peter says, Jesus took us up that mountain so we would be eyewitnesses of his power and his majesty. So that you could trust our message about Jesus' return in power and majesty. In other words, Jesus didn't just give Peter a message to preach. He gave him evidence to confirm that message. And in the New Testament, we find Jesus doing the same thing with other disciples. The end of John's gospel records how the risen Jesus appeared to the disciples when Thomas wasn't there with them. And when they told Thomas later what had happened, Thomas said, yeah, right. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, 
and put my hand into his side, into that wound, I will not believe. I need evidence, Thomas said. How did Jesus respond to that? Did he come back to give Thomas a smack? Tell him he should believe without evidence? No, John tells us a week later, when Thomas was with the others, Jesus came and he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into the wound in my side. Stop doubting, Thomas, and believe. And we are not supposed to read Jesus' words as a rebuke to Thomas. No, Jesus was saying, Hear, Thomas. Here's the evidence you need. Here's everything you need to believe. And Jesus went on to say that to Thomas, along with the other disciples, they were to pass on their eyewitness testimony. That Jesus really had risen physically from the dead. That's why Jesus showed himself to them. And here in our passage, when Peter talks about the transfiguration, the point is exactly the same. Just as Thomas was shown the scars in Jesus' body, so he would be a trustworthy witness to the resurrection, Peter, James, and John were shown the transfiguration so they would be trustworthy witnesses to Jesus' divine power and glory. Power and glory that back up Jesus' promise to return in power and glory. If you and I only conceive in our minds of Jesus as a wandering preacher then it's very hard for us to imagine him at the head of heaven's armies. But once you and I factor in what Peter, James, and John saw on that mountain, and what they heard his father declare from heaven, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Once we take in those words from heaven, and the glimpse of divine majesty that went with the words, then we can have confidence. The Jesus we're dealing with has all the power and authority of heaven. He will return to this earth, visible to all, as he splits open the skies, bringing a kingdom of righteousness and peace. So Jesus' majesty is not something you and I have to believe in with blind faith. We have the word of more than one eyewitness. That's true of the whole New Testament. Yes, you and I are asked to believe in things we personally have not seen, but we believe because of the testimony of those who did see. And their testimony confirms not only that Jesus rose from the dead, it also confirms he is the majestic king of heaven whose kingdom will never end. You and I can trust what we know about the future because of the truthful witness of the New Testament and the truthful witness of the Old Testament. One of the reasons our faith can falter at times 
is because we don't pay enough attention to the Old Testament. Probably we neglect the Old Testament because we know that our hope is in Jesus and we think the New Testament is the only place that will strengthen our hope in Jesus. But that is not true. When it comes to our hope in Jesus, the Old Testament is equally important because it is just bursting with expectation for Jesus. The Old Testament is one long prophetic message about Jesus. Not just the bits written by the prophets. The whole Old Testament looks forward to Jesus. At Christmas we sing, Come thy long expected Jesus. That one line is a good summary of the whole Old Testament. From what it teaches about human sin and failure, to the tabernacle, that tent where God dwelt among his people, to the sacrificial system where sin was atoned for by blood, and then the masses of prophecy looking beyond the reign of sin and death to a future day when God's Messiah will cause the earth to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The Old Testament bursts not only with expectation for Jesus' first coming, but also for his second. And when you and I realize those hopes for his first coming have already been wonderfully fulfilled, don't we have every reason to believe the Old Testament is also a trustworthy witness to Jesus' return? to fulfill those still unfulfilled hopes for God's new heaven and earth. When you and I trace the Old Testament story from Jacob's prophecy in Genesis chapter 49, that a line of rulers would arise from the tribe of Judah, culminating in a king who would have the obedience not just of Israel, but of the nation. When we read that in the first book of the Bible, and then we follow that story all the way through the days of the judges, when Israel had no king, then to the marriage of Ruth and Boaz, which produced Obed, the grandfather of David. And when we read the story of David's rise from obscurity to be Israel's greatest king, and then after David's death, as we read the prophets, and we hear the prophets banging on about another David who is still to come. A king who would be descended from David, but who would far surpass David's glory. We read all that, and then we arrive on the first page of the New Testament and see how that line of David went all the way to Joseph, Jesus' human father. And then we hear the angel announcing to the Virgin Mary, your son will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and his kingdom will never end. As we trace that out through so many books of Scripture written over a period of about 1,500 years by over 40 different authors, 
and yet all of it pointing to just one person as our hope for now and for eternity. As we read and as we experience that harmony of Scripture's great story, don't we see the evidence of what Peter says here in verse 20? He says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. When you and I begin to grasp that the Bible is one book, with ultimately one divine author. Don't we have every reason to trust what it tells us about the future? About our own future? Only God could have brought all of this together. All those epochs of expectation and hope met finally in one person the Son of Man who is also the Son of God, the divine King who revealed His majestic glory to eyewitnesses so that you and I could live each day of our lives not burdened with dread, but filled with expectation for our future. When we will transition finally from this ragged, tent that we live in now to the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so Peter says in the middle of verse 19, whether it's the witness of the Old Testament or the New, you and I do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. This world is a dark place much of the time. But as Christians, our lives are not determined by the darkness around us. Our hopes are not based on anything in this dark world. God in His love has given us the Old and the New Testaments as a lamp for our feet and a light on our path. Together, the Scriptures are God's gift to renew our confidence in what's ahead of us. The Scriptures will keep our hope burning until the day when hope becomes experience. I take it that's what Peter means when he speaks in verse 19 about the day dawning and the morning star rising in our hearts. One day, the light of Scripture will give way to the light of God's presence. And our hearts will experience the realities that we can only anticipate now. So as you and I look ahead to a new week, let's hear Peter's call to renew our confidence. Not in ourselves, but in the future we have in Christ. Let's give more of our attention to Scripture so that we can not only remember, but also learn to trust what we know about the future.
And when the news threatens to overwhelm us with anxiety, well then let's consider taking in less news and more Bible. Our last song helps us to look forward. Rejoicing in hope, we wait for our King. Our citizenship 
is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Call. 